Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. The voice is like a combination of Fergie and Jesus. You sound like you're from London. I don't want your life. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to The Movie Showdown with Rock and Rob. My name is Rob Mansfield, and although he's a little tired and a little wired, I think he deserves some appreciation. It's Alex Rockline. Hey, Rob, how's it going this week? Not too, too bad, my friend. That's good. I, I, I am very excited about this week's episode. These are just two fun, fun movies. I mean, it's Nicolas Cage week. How could you not be excited? How can you not be excited? This is bigger than Shark Week. So the rock question of the week. Alex, have you ever stolen anything? Oof. Time thief, if that counts. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. Very, very petty. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I had a job where I was doing some work in a cafeteria setting. It was just a nice big fridge of Snapples and all sorts of other assorted juices. And every so often, you know, I'd help myself. Does that count? Like, that's not that bad. Well, I just feel like that should be part of your pay. See, that was my justification. I'm like, I'm doing the work. I'm here. So the only time I can remember stealing anything was in elementary school, and I stole a Yikes eraser. Ooh. Do you remember those? I do remember Yikes, yes. So I stole a Yikes eraser from the school store and felt so guilty about it that the next week I brought extra money and left it on the school store table and started to walk away. And the parent working was like, oh, sweetie, you didn't buy anything. And I was like, uh, I did. It's that much. Bye. It's exactly, I know it. I counted for tax and everything. I felt so guilty about it that just couldn't, couldn't bring myself to steal anything else after that. That is a strong moral compass. I don't really have it much for anything else, but for some reason that is something. Yikes erasers is. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, Nicolas Cage week here at the movie showdown. First movie, Alex. Why don't you tell everybody about National Treasure? National Treasure. This movie was released on November 19th, 2004. It had a budget of $100 million, and the box office brought in $347.5 million. Wow. This movie is directed by John Turtletob. Uh, he is known for Three Ninjas, Cool Runnings, While You Were Sleeping, and also the National Treasure sequel. Written by Jim Kauf, Cormac, and Marianne Wiberly. This movie has a Rotten Tomato score of 46%, a Google score of 83%, and like I mentioned before, there's a sequel to this movie and also a Disney Plus show. I can say I have definitely seen the sequel but I know nothing about the Disney Plus show other than I saw it just got canceled. Honestly, I didn't really know that there was one. And you know what? That feels kind of like a missed opportunity because I feel like there's so much source material that you could use to make a really cool show. Yeah, I heard that they were talking about doing a third one with all of the main cast, but then kind of shifted focus to this TV show and it didn't work, apparently. That's too bad. That's too bad. Yeah. What would you say is the summary of National Treasure? Let's just say it's Nicolas Cage tries to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> the movie I will be representing is Gone in 60 Seconds. And I would say the summary of that film is Nick Cage steals 50 cars in one night. 
released on June 5th, 2000, with a budget of $90 million and a box office of $237.2 million. The director was Dominic Cena. Writer was Scott Rosenberg, who had also done a Nick Cage masterpiece, Con Air, and the new Jumanji movies with The Rock. I think an interesting story I read about Scott Rosenberg was that him, Vince Vaughn, and Steve Buscemi got in a bar fight in North Carolina, and Steve Buscemi was actually stabbed, more like slashed a few times. And that was like line two on his Wikipedia bio. Wow. I like the new Jumanji movies. I do too. They're really fun. They're surprisingly really fun. You've got a Rotten Tomato score of 25% for Gone in 60 Seconds and a Google audience score of 81%. Like we said, Alex, this is our Nick Cage episode. What is your relationship to Nicolas Cage? I'd say safe to say he's polarizing. Might be a little goofy. People might not take him too seriously. I don't know. The guy makes fun movies. It feels like he just is who he is in movies. Like, that's just him. Early in his career, he was pretty renowned. He won an Oscar. I think one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies, besides these two, is uh, Raising Arizona. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal yeah. movie. Really good. Like I mentioned, Con Air before. He has like a weird Southern accent in that movie, but it's he's still really good in it. To me, he brings this like crazy energy to him. That makes it so that only he could play some of these parts. Got that crazy, cool, smart, rambling, a little chaotic. You're transfixed on him when you're watching him on screen. Why don't you tell us about Nicolas Cage as Benjamin Franklin Gates in National Treasure? National Treasure, Nicolas Cage plays Benjamin Franklin Gates. Just in this movie, he just he's always one step ahead. You know, he knows what's going on. He reads the room. He's very smart. He got a American history degree from Georgetown. Uh, also learned that he got a mechanical engineering degree from MIT. He's got some game too, Rob. He meets Abigail Chase, sees that she's missing the George Washington campaign button. Next thing you know, envelope arrives at her office. There's the missing button. Pretty convenient that he had the button. Pretty convenient, but also, did he do his homework? That would be very stalkerish. That would be. Did he go and national treasure this button on his free time? Is there more to the story? I know we have a really big task ahead of us, but we're going to have to put that on pause. I need to find this campaign button. I need to find this yeah, this one campaign button that's sticking around. To me, yeah, he just always knew things, which there's that line in the beginning of the movie when they feel like you feel like they're stranded in the arctic and he's like there's an inuit village nine miles east of here that's popular with bush pilots like who would know that why yeah, who would, would know he that? know that yeah yeah i mean it's it, obviously very convenient for a movie but at the same time you know like the dude knows the stuff it wouldn't surprise me if he did a little research he was very smart albeit crazy but very smart yeah it seems like you know like his father before him like his father before him like his <laughs> father before him that's the gates legacy you're crazy so in Gone in 60 Seconds, Nicolas Cage plays Randall Memphis Reigns, and he really pulls off the, I've seen way worse than what you're trying to bring to me attitude. You know, when the villain of the movie's threatening him, he just never seems scared, never seems out of place, and always just seems to have that air about him of, you can't scare me. Nothing you're going to say or do is going to throw me off. That's got to be so frustrating for the villain. Trying to intimidate, and he's just like, yeah, no worries. Like, I get this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, yeah. I can still get the cards. You know, in three days, I'll do it in one night. Like, all right, guy. This movie is the classic movie trope. We need the best person to do this job, which I would watch a hundred 
thousand of those movies. It's always, yeah. oh, we have this super impossible task. There's only one person, but he hasn't done it for years. We need to get him. I'm in. I'm sold from the get go. Let's do it. I did have a question. So his nickname is Memphis, which is really cool, but they never explain why his nickname is Memphis. They live in Long Beach. I don't know. Does he like Memphis barbecue? Maybe he likes Memphis barbecue. We see them grilling at the end. Maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe he's just a huge fan of Memphis barbecue. What do you think was the best nickname in this movie? We got a few of them. We got, you know, we got Memphis. We got the Sphinx. We got Sway. Okay, so to me, it came down to two. I think Sphinx is a really cool nickname. The reason is based on something that actually isn't in the movie. He was originally written to have no nose, similar to the famous Sphinx structure in Egypt. And he was going to wear a pair of glasses that had a fake nose on it during the car stealing scenes. I don't know if it would have added anything to the movie, but it definitely would not not have added something to the movie. Yeah, like those goofy ones with like the big eyebrows, like the joke <laughs> Maybe. ones. Yeah, that would I mean, know. that would have been hilarious. <laughs> Can you imagine just that dude stealing cars? That would that would be actually more terrifying. Yeah, it definitely would be. But that's not my winner. My favorite nickname, it's not actually a nickname, but I love the name Otto in the movie. Mm. And it's a homonym for auto. Yeah. So auto shop, if you say it kind of quickly, it it almost sounds like auto shop, auto shop, yeah. auto shop. Maybe it's too on the nose, but I liked it. We actually get our first two Timers Club members. Uh, we have John Voigt in National Treasure, back from Varsity Blues. We have Scott Kahn, also from Varsity Blues. You know, Rob, he kind of reminds me of Tweeter in this movie. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if one character is an extension from the other. Oh, that's a really good point. Like, maybe Tweeter got out of Texas, changed his nickname, went over, started stealing cars. I agree. I mean, he has that quote about the stranger, you know, it's a family yes. show, so we won't go into detail, but yep. if you're interested, Google The Stranger, or don't Google it. Or but, don't Google it. But that's definitely something Tweeter would say. 100%. And then we also have Annie Paris, and she was in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. We'll have to keep track of that. We'll have to keep track of who ends up being in the most amount of these movies. All right, Alex. So National Treasure, what type of movie is this? Is this a heist movie, an adventure movie, a superhero movie? I think it's a little bit of everything. The heist obviously is the big part, trying to steal this document that should be pretty impossible to steal. But also at the same time, they're getting around. They're going to Washington, D.C. They're going to Philly. You know, they're on an adventure. It's got a lot packed into this it, historical fiction. Like, there's a little bit of something for everyone in this one. I do believe this movie was definitely sold on the... I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. ...line. Like, when it was pitched in the in the room... They said Nick Cage steals the Declaration of Independence. Who doesn't listen to more of that? I feel like this movie has almost transcended the actual movie and is just such a part of the culture now. You know, you say, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, Andy Samberg on SNL built a whole character of Nick Cage based off of that. Cage even appeared with him on SNL. The time has come for us to ride on to our next adventure. What is that? We're going to have a three-way with the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> identical. They looked identical. <laughs> and so that's great that Nick Cage kind of embraced it. That has to be the biggest thing from this movie. Yeah, and honestly, it kind of reminds me, and I wonder if there's a little bit of piggyback on the Da Vinci Code where, you know, you have this historical artifact that has a secret message and, you know, people are racing to find it. Hmm. Kind of like the family version of the Da Vinci Code. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A little more. 
PG. And it, and it's interesting because his alias is Paul Brown when he goes and meets Dr. Abigail Chase for the first time and and Da Vinci Code is written by Dan Brown. So, you know, who knows? Like the oh. the names the names in National Treasure are very calculated, they're very intentional. Yeah. Based on historical figures. I don't know, you have to wonder if they, they threw something in there. Absolutely. As I was watching this movie through again, something that stood out to me was Ian, the bad guy, says to Nick Cage's character, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. And Nick Cage goes, you can't steal the Declaration of Independence. And then literally five minutes later, Nick Cage is like, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. And it's like, what? What is happening? I need to steal it so that you can't steal it. Like, well, yeah. they, they kept saying, I need to steal it to save it. Yeah, I mean, like, we can justify it as much about? as we want. It's he's still like, you can't steal it. I'm going to steal it. Yeah, I do appreciate how very different their plans are to steal it because it's like, you know, Nicolas Cage and Riley is his sidekick. Are, you know, they've got it all mapped out. Like, this is the time we're going to get the video feed. We're going to do this. And Ian just comes in. He's like, I'm going to blow up the wall. Walk in and try. <laughs> Ian was definitely more of a brunt force type of guy. Um so maybe he would have accidentally destroyed it if Nick Cage hadn't stolen it first. But also very interesting that this, this the whole movie is based on trying to hide the treasure from the British. And we get Ian as a British man trying to get to the treasure first. There was a lot of calculated writing in this movie. For such an ab- absurd plot. I had a lot of thought go into it, which I really appreciate. Alex, something that I had learned about recently was there is actually a drinking game created around national treasure did you know about this this game uh this game's pretty wild and sounds a little bit dangerous honestly (laughs) yeah you got all these rules like when to take a drink anyone says declaration they mention freemasons you have a historical figure name drop one of the clues is solved declaration changes hands you're definitely not still standing after playing this game right no no you're not making it to the end (laughs) nice nice there is a lot of historical context thrown at the audience in this movie. There's a lot of exposition in the beginning. This movie is basically a full-on history lesson. Yeah, it's, it is a full-on history lesson. And, you know, a lot of locations are visited in Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia, which have great historical value and, you know, just like fun places to visit. I mean, there's probably too much to get into um, on this podcast, but it's a it's a lesson in civics. Some of it may be fact-checked, and yeah, that's not quite right, but I mean, the whole thing is centered around the Declaration of Independence, which, have you ever read the Declaration of Independence? Is it bad if I say no? No, because I don't think I have either, and I feel like we had to at some point, but again, like, should I have a copy of that lying around? (laughs) A a, a replica copy, let's just... I'm going to send you one. I'm going to hide something on it that (laughs) you're going to have to figure out. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> my own national treasure i mean the biggest part of this movie is the secret society of historical figures that we call the freemasons so rob let me ask you are you part of any secret societies i am technically part of a secret email club the author shea serrano i love shea serrano he writes amazing things he's hilarious so I am a part of his secret email club, but I believe that is the only secret society I'm a part of. Well, sad to say that you were formerly a part of the secret society because now everybody knows about it. Hmm. You know what? Valid point. Valid point. Hopefully I don't get kicked out. Yeah, you should just like beep that part out. <laughs> Are you part of any secret societies? No, I can't say that I am. Wink, wink. <laughs> nice. Okay. We'll <laughs> leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. 
All right, let me talk a little about Gone in 60 Seconds. So Nick Cage has to steal 50 cars to save his brother, and they decide to do it all in 12 hours. Alex, is this the nicest collection of cars in movies? I mean, I feel like it's got to be. You know, typically in, in movies, thinking out loud here, Fast and Furious, Ford versus Ferrari. You have a small little window of certain automobiles. But in this movie, you got, you know, you got 50 that they're talking about that range from very nice, very famous cars. And then, you know, you get kind of down the list and towards 48, 49, 50, maybe not as luxurious. <laughs> but I mean, overall, there's 50 cars and most of them are pretty top notch. What is the worst car in this movie? Number 50 on the list, codename Lisa, is the 2000 Volvo Turbo Wagon R. Did a uh, quick Google search, and I'm a little surprised that this was on the list. Do you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? We have a Volvo hater on the line. We, I don't hate Volvos. Volvos are very safe. Maybe that's the reason why they, they wanted to pick this car. It just seems like very, like you could get this anywhere. That's what I'm saying. It did seem like there were some cars out of place. There were some yes, modern that's, SUVs. That's all I'm saying. Out of place, yes. Mixed in with some really fancy historic cars. So the list was kind of all over the place. But I also have never tried to make a list of 50 vehicles. Maybe they started to run out of really cool ones. I don't know if I could make a list of 50 vehicles. Well, we know you wouldn't list any Volvos. Maybe, well, now I would. That would be my first one. Top of the list, 2000 <laughs> Volvo Turbo Wagon R. <laughs> Turbo Wagon R. Maybe it was really fast. I don't know. Maybe that's why it was on. Yeah, it sounds cool. Turbo wagon just 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 doesn't. It sounds like an oxymoron to me. It really does. You know, it's like you're picking the kids up and taking them to the soccer in the turbo wagon. In the turbo wagon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, moving on. Rob, are you a car guy? My dad was, and I grew up appreciating older muscle cars, but I was always more of a practical car guy. I never had extra money to buy cool cars. I would love to, but I just don't have that extra cash. So every car I've ever bought has been just for practical purposes, but I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a car guy. What about you? I'm not. I just, you know, it's just kind of tried like you, like when I was younger, like, oh yeah, like that's a cool car, like BMW, Mercedes, but it's just not my thing. Like I don't really know nothing about them. Like I put the gas in, I go and that's about it. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that you didn't get your driver's license until you were 35 years old? Okay. Well, here we, yeah, I'm being exposed here. I was 20. Maybe that's it. That could be it. There's probably <laughs> some like subconscious level stuff that's like deep down. We'll have to dive into that at a later date. That will be a different that'll be a different episode. <laughs> that'll be Rock and Rob go to a therapist. <laughs> okay, so Rob, with that in mind, what was your first car? So I had a super cool nineteen ninety-six white Pontiac Bonneville that my mom drove for years and then passed it along to me. It was a total mom mobile. And honestly, you know how some people would drive cars and think that it would make them cooler. I'm fairly certain this car really hurt my street cred. Like it set you back a few yeah. years. Yeah. 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 Did you have this in college? I did. I remember this car now. Yeah. I had this all through college. Things would go wrong and we would just rig it to fix. I remember by the end of it, the way you turned the air condition on was there was a little lever you had to pull out from the glove compartment and push in when you wanted heat or AC. Broke down in some unfortunate places for sure, but it served me well. I appreciate my parents for giving it to me, got me where I needed to go. But still, one of these days, maybe I'll be able to buy a cool car. Did you have any cool cars? No, no. I mean, yes, my first car was a, uh, I believe it was a 1998 Chevy Lumina. 
champagne <laughs> color. That was my my grandfather's. I had a George W. Bush sticker on the back. Wow. I could not get off. That car broke down. Currently drive a Nissan Altima. So yeah, it's very practical. It is weird though, being in Texas and driving a sedan because I feel like I'm going to get pancaked because everyone drives a giant SUV, giant pickup truck. It's out of place. Better not get a hybrid in Texas. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. No, I feel like, yeah, I feel like my I'll be pressured to get a, car, a truck. I've gone back and forth of wanting a truck, but then realizing I'm a terrible parker. And so if I got a truck, that wouldn't be good. You would have to back into every space. Oh, man, I wouldn't want That's to do what people that. Say. No, me too. That's I get like so annoyed at daycare, like when I'm dropping my kids off at daycare and some massive truck pulls up and backs yeah. into a spot. I'm like, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> Just park your car. Just park. Stop <laughs> it. I, I think the same thing. Oh, oh that's so God. funny. Anyway, what do you say? You ready to battle this out? See which movie comes out on top? Let's ride. <laughs> nice. All right. Round one. Best cast or performance? Talk to me about National Treasure. National Treasure, as we know, stars the man of the hour, Nicolas Cage. His sidekick, Riley, is played by Justin Bartha. You may know him from The Hangover. His dad is John Voight, Patrick Gates in this film. Sean Bean plays Ian. You, uh, you may know him from Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. You have Diane Kruger, who plays Dr. Abigail Chase. You have Harvey Keitel. He is in a lot of things. And then you have Christopher Plummer. He is Benjamin Franklin Gates' grandfather. And I got to tell you, when he's telling the backstory in the beginning, he's got like the perfect voice for that. Like the American history story. And like, that was awesome. I love that part. All right. Let me talk about the cast of Gone in 60 Seconds. Honestly, it would probably be shorter to list everybody not in this movie. But we have Nicolas Cage, as mentioned earlier. Angelina Jolie, who I felt like was pretty believable in this role. It was actually specifically written for her. And we could talk an entire podcast about Angelina Jolie. What I will say is that I think she did a good job in this film, albeit in a role that probably wasn't suited to someone of her level. I did find it funny. She was drinking water out of an oil can. There's no way you're getting that oil can clean. Like It's definitely going to smell like oil no matter what you do to it. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. She also had really blue eyes in this, which I believe were fake. Yeah, we're not talking like Sweet Home Alabama Baby Blues. I don't believe Angelina Jolie has that blue of eyes. We've also got Giovanni Ribisi, who was Memphis's brother. We've also got Will Patton, who I love in Remember the Titans. Delroy Lindo, Timothy Oliphant, Robert Duvall. Person I want to talk a little bit about, Vinnie Jones, who plays Sphinx. His intro is just awesome in this. You know, he answers the phone. He puts the sandwich on the corpse when he's doing his, what is that job? What's that called? I don't know. Whatever. I audibly gasped, though, when he put the sandwich on the guy. I was like, oh, like, no. (laughs) It was so gross, but also just told you everything you needed to know about this guy. Then Memphis is getting jumped. He blows up the car and then beats the other guys up. There's that scene where they steal the car and there's a huge snake in it, which to this day is actually a fear of mine that I'm going to get in a car any car, my car, and there's going to be a snake in there. And it has to have started from this movie. It has to have stemmed from this movie, yeah. I love Sphinx. I think he's a great character. You have Chi McBride. I really enjoyed when the guy's trying to carjack him after he just stole a car, and he gets out and he beats the guy up, and there's just like that morality line. You lazy half-ass can pull a gun on somebody. You don't know the first thing about stealing a car. What? You need a role model. After he just stole how many cars in the night? Right, right. 
in a cameo, you have Ken Jenkins, a.k.a. Dr. Kelso from Scrubs. When I saw that, I immediately was like, Rob's going to love this. It made my night. It was such a small part. He had seven words, but always great to see that guy. Then you have Michael Pena. Let me ask you something. Do you think Gone in 60 Seconds is in the same universe as the MCU? So Michael Pena plays a character named Ignacio. And in the Ant-Man movie, when Michael Pena is explaining the backstory to a few of the characters, he talks about his cousin, Ignacio. Okay, so I'm at this art museum with my cousin Ignacio, right? And Ignacio tells me, yo. I mean, that can't be just a coincidence, right? No, I, I like to think anytime this stuff happens. I love when you take totally different movies, different eras, and they're in the same universe. And I'm 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 really into conspiracy theories now because we're, we're talking about National Treasure. So I'm going to say, yeah, it has to be. Something I thought was interesting was Brad Pitt was considered for the lead role of this movie. And wow. Yeah. While I think Brad Pitt could do almost anything, it really changes the movie. It gives it more of like an Ocean's Eleven vibe and less Absolutely. of less of what we get. The Ocean's movies are great, but totally different style actor. Not that it wouldn't have been good. I don't know. So do you have anything for our weekly Seinfeld or Friends watch? Oh, yeah, we got we got a good, good collection. We got John Voight, Arabella Field, Don McManus and Grace Zabriskie all appeared in episodes of Seinfeld. And also Kip. Yep. Giovanni Rabisi is Phoebe's brother and friends. Same type of character with less criminal actions. It's fun to do these. Oh, were they in Seinfeld? Were they in Friends? It may seem kind of random, but those shows were so huge when they came out. It's interesting to see some of these actors play roles, in, you know, very minor roles in those shows kind of before they got launched. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun to go back. I love it. Yeah, it's fun to see. And it'll be fun to see if we ever have any um, episodes where there's some overlap. I'm sure. I'm sure we will. Well, look, obviously, the cast of Gone in 60 Seconds is way bigger. They have some power hitter actors in it. What case can you even make for National Treasure? That's a great point. But I mean, Riley in National Treasure, without him, you don't have nearly as much fun in that movie. He's smart. He's hilarious. He's just, he aged so well. He could play this same character today in a movie, and it works perfectly. He was my favorite part of National Treasure, hands down. But I guess my question to you would be, does one really good performance outweigh the talent of what was on screen and gone in 60 seconds? Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's enough there. Like, you know, you got John Voight, obviously, in the mix, too. But I think, like you said, gone in 60 seconds has maybe one too many heavy power hitters in this one. I would just say their lineup from top to bottom is way more stacked than what you get in National Treasure. Yeah, I think if you flash up the names on the screen or put them on a poster, I think you're going to generate a little bit more buzz with Gone in 60 Seconds. So I think I'll have to concede this point to you, Rob. All right. Gone in 60 Seconds, leading 1-0. Round two, best line or moment. Take it away. Jumping right back into Riley. I think he's got some of the best lines in National Treasure. Obviously, he's part of the best moments. That part where he's just like, oh, I'm no expert. How could this shit wind up way out here? Well, I'm no expert, but it could be that the hydrothermic properties of this region produce hurricane force ice storms that cause the ocean to freeze and then melt and then refreeze, resulting in a semi-solid migrating landmass that would land a ship Right around here. And then launches into this whole like hydrothermic 
properties and the, yeah. the scene where where they're in the the charlotte and he's getting shot at and then he's hiding behind a rope like <laughs> it's hilarious like they just kept kind of like panning over to him and like it's a very intense scene he had some comic relief to those scenes for sure yeah it's good it's good he's so funny and then the event for the declaration nicholas cage makes the toast to high treason that's what these men were committing when they signed the declaration had we lost the war they would have been hanged beheaded drawn and quartered oh oh my personal favorite had their entrails cut out and burned (laughs) then he absolutely downs the champagne yeah (laughs) national treasure also has that awesome heist setup scene i don't know how you feel about those scenes in movies but i love it i love when they're laying out the plan this is what needs to happen they're kind of showing it how it should happen it's always my favorite part of any heist movie Anytime they can kind of outline, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And then you kind of see that put in motion. It's really cool. I like that too. Cause you know, sometimes they'll just come up with a plan on the spot in movies and you're like, how's everyone on the same page? Like, you know, like what's <laughs> going on? There's no communication. So I appreciate that. So during that scene, Rob, uh, Riley says now when the declaration is on display, it is surrounded by guards and video monitors and a little family from Iowa and little kids on their eighth grade field trip. Were you one of those kids on their eighth grade field trip? I absolutely was. We did an eighth grade field trip to Washington, D.C. Surprisingly, it was right after September 11th. So I'm shocked that they allowed us to still go. But I did go to public school in New Jersey. So maybe they just didn't think too much into that. Maybe. I went in seventh grade and I did see the Declaration of Independence. Like when they, when I watched that, rewatched that scene again, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I remember that. Like I remember that building, but that was it. And then another, this is another quote that's got me thinking, when Nicolas Cage goes and meets Abigail Chase for the first time, she's like, oh, you're treasure hunters, are you? And then he says, oh, we're more like treasure protectors. I am so glad that they did not go with a title like treasure protectors. What I think of when I hear the phrase treasure protector is a 90s Christianity chastity belt. <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. I like, I think you're right. I don't think I would have watched that movie. No. I definitely would not have watched that movie. That sounds like a movie teenage girls were shown by their churches. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm I'm really glad that they did not put that as the title. All right, my turn. Yes, sir. So in Gone in 60 Seconds, I really like in the beginning when Kip, proving how dumb he is, is about to throw a brick through the window. His partner is saying, Kip, man, we're going to use a brick, man. We might as well call prison and make reservations. I really like the breakfast scene between Kip and Memphis. And Kip's trying to prove to Memphis that he's good, he's established. And he's like, look, you know, I got everything under control. And then Memphis just says, kitchen's on fire. It's a little on the nose, but it really epitomizes everything about their relationship. How Kip is just the total screw up and Memphis is there to be calm and to save the day. Yeah, very calm, cool, grabs the baking soda, sprinkles it on the fire. I like the quote at the end of the movie during the car chase when the one police officer gets like smashed through a wall and then Timothy Oliphant's character looks at him and he says, You all right? I think so. Are you sure? Because you just went through a wall. It's one of those quotes that only works in action comedies because nobody would be that cavalier about a guy just going through a wall but made me chuckle i liked it timothy oliphant had some he had some great lines you know i wish i wish he had a little bit bigger of a role because i think he i just really like him i enjoy him he's good yeah, he, he, he was he was a good like you know buddy cop there with the other detective i do think my favorite scene is when nicholas cage goes to the ferrari dealership my name is roger sir may i be of some help 
That's funny. My name's Roger. Two Rogers don't make a right. <laughs> I laughed out loud, which, what does that say about me? But I was like, that's actually pretty funny. Just the way he delivered it. Like, it was, it was good. It worked. It's such a dumb line. And that scene is, he's acting so ridiculous in it. But it's another one of those scenes that only Nick Cage could get away with doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's just so goofy. Yeah. I can't see Brad Pitt like doing that line. And it's just been like, that's, that's corny. Brad Pitt is too cool to make himself seem that dumb. He would have delivered it very differently, but give me Nicolas Cage any day. For me in this category, obviously National Treasure has more one-liners, kind of better jokes. I think Gone in 60 Seconds has some really good scenes and some um, some funny moments too. I I've already admitted Riley was the best part of National Treasure. I already said his performance was probably the best. I don't even think I can make an argument for Gone in 60 Seconds in this category. So I'm, I'm going to give it to you out of fairness and respect to the game. I'm going to give you this point. All right. One to one. Round three, better title or soundtrack. Alex, before we get into this, because the title of your movie is National Treasure, I have to ask you, what do you actually do if you find treasure that is this old? Like, who buys it? What are you supposed to do with it? I wouldn't even know. Yeah, you would need to have a guy, got an antiques roadshow, like appraise it. But at the same time, you kind of don't want to play your cards and be like, hey, I found this uh, treasure that's been passed around for hundreds of years. Can I tell you what made me really nervous when I watched this movie, when they're in the church trying to find the treasure? They're just lighting torches and like stuff on fire everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah. this church is like, this thing's going to go up any second. Like, can you just cool it on the on the torches, please? I actually thought that every time they had a torch, all this stuff's really old. Something's going to burn down. Yeah. And like even that um, when they, oh, it's a chandelier. What? Like how are you supposed to know when he just lights it on <laughs> yeah, fire? I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? But, you know, this is a very torch movie. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. if there's ever a torch movie, this is a torch movie. You got to have a torch. They didn't travel with flashlights. Right. You would think if you were treasure hunting, you travel with flashlights. Not these guys. Torches only. They're authentic. They're doing it how, you know, how it's supposed to be done. For the soundtrack for Gone in 60 Seconds, I just want to point out three songs that I think is what puts this over the edge. And I'll give you time to rebuttal. But this movie opens with Flower by Moby, which I still listen to to this day and think it's a phenomenal song. They've got Party Up in Here by DMX. And then they have Low Rider by War, which is one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. And that's where Nick Cage holds his hands up and then he shakes him. Okay, let's run. Right after he put on his car stealing uniform, which he had stored at the place for some reason. And then he says, I'm a bad man, which is a really dumb quote, but it's still, you know, Nick Cage saying it. It's just like, sweet. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm in. I'm buying it. I don't know why the Lowrider song was their pregame anthem, but I don't question it. I'm going to take no, it. It's a cool song. Tell me about National Treasure. What kind of music they got? This is where you like really see a difference in these two. Gone in 60 Seconds, more of a soundtrack. National Treasure, more of a score. So Trevor Rabin actually did the score, and he is an ex-member of the band Yes. Their biggest song, probably Owner of a Lonely Heart. It's a classic. Good song. Great song. Uh, some of the song titles in National Treasure include Library of Congress, Arrival at National Archives, Declaration of Independence. Not subtle. No, it, no, not subtle. It, it works for the movie. Like, it, it was appropriate. If I'm going to put one against the other, I mean, Gone in 60 Seconds kind of gets you more fired up. You know, it's more exciting. It's probably cooler. Not that I dislike National Treasure, but I don't think it compares with Gone in 60 Seconds in this case. I will take the point. That puts us at two to one in favor of Gone in 60 Seconds. 
Round four, bigger plot holes, more cringy, random questions. So I will point out my thoughts on National Treasure. Alex will point out his thoughts on Gone in 60 Seconds, and then we'll have a lively discussion afterwards. So for National Treasure, the biggest plot holes to me, besides nobody actually being able to steal the Declaration of Independence, I would have to say the second biggest plot hole is that even if you could steal the Declaration of Independence, there is actually no ink left on it. It has faded over time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, first of all, let's put the massive plot hole of the actual entire film on hold. But yeah, what's the quality like? Yeah, even the invisible ink that showed up pretty clear. Yeah, it really did. Early in the movie when they're in the Arctic and that boat explodes because fire had hit the barrels of gunpowder. Gunpowder actually doesn't explode like that, so I don't think it would have caused a massive explosion. I do believe that the FBI and Homeland Security would have listened to them when they went and said someone's going to try to steal the Declaration of Independence if they would have just explained who the person was. He had said he was already in trouble with the law in the past. Wouldn't they have at least like kept an eye on the guy? Yeah, no, that's a good call. Another plot hole, the movie centers around Charles Carroll telling Ben Franklin's great, 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 great something grandfather about this treasure because he was a Mason. But Charles Carroll was definitely not a Mason in real life. He is the only Catholic signer of the Declaration of Independence, which is significant because the Catholic Church prohibited Catholics from membership in Mason organizations or other secret societies. So Charles Carroll was definitely not one of the Freemasons mentioned in this movie. I also find the timely shadow clue very unreliable, even if the time was correct. Depending on the time of year, that sun would be all in different places. Yeah, it was fun when Riley has that, you know, aha moment of... You don't know this? I I know something about history that you don't know. I'd be very excited to learn about it, Riley. Hold on one second, let me just... I'm just taking this moment. This is... This is cool. Is this how you feel all the time? This is how you feel all the time? And he's, you know, explaining that the time would have been different that long ago because it was before daylight saving time and... Yeah. Was it winter? Was it summer? Absolutely. (laughs) Change things. Yeah. Alex, this might be the first time ever. I actually don't have any cringy or poorly aged things at all from National Treasure. Yeah. And you know what? I I was racking my brain too. You know, out of fairness, kind of kind of look for for some of these in my own movie that I came to the table with. And I mean, there's a couple lines maybe, but I think that's just Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. Like it's nothing about like the movie. The movie being what it was. No, I, I found everything fine. I I didn't have any issues with it. It's timeless. I would say it's t- it's a timeless movie. I did have some random questions, and I'm just going to read them off to you. Okay, so we've got this hidden treasure that they didn't want the British to find. But why did they leave clues? Like a really smart British person could have found the treasure with the clues. That wasn't only an American skill set. I don't completely understand how we got from point A to point B of them saying, we have this treasure, we need to hide it. We're going to leave an extremely intricate set of clues for somebody to find. I mean, also a construction worker could have stumbled across that treasure in New York City where it was hidden. So I think there could have been better steps to their plan. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Like why the, why the clues just like, just tell someone hey, yeah. it's here, you know, like, that's I don't know. That is funny to think about, but I'm glad there were clues because I it's fun. It's fun. 
I'm not an expert on this, but do you think breath would be hot enough to make invisible ink appear? No. Also, his father had a bowl of lemons just in his fridge conveniently. <laughs> That's true. That did throw me off, but I didn't realize it threw me off. <laughs> but it's just it was like a significantly empty fridge with just a massive bowl of lemons sitting in it. And I was like, no, I've been an adult for a while. You might have like two, three lemons at once and they're rattling around in one of the drawers in your fridge. You do not have a bowl of perfectly pristine lemons sitting there. Yeah, they're not in a bowl. They're in a drawer and they're also not yellow. They're green or brown. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, I should throw yeah. those away. And then you just shut <laughs> the fridge. <laughs> oh, man. And then they always do this in movies, so I don't fault it for it. But what a weird moment for a first kiss. Yeah, that part may have been a little awkward, but. I just don't think that if you are in a life or death situation, kissing someone is the first thing on your mind. Especially someone you kind of just met. I'm sure there was a connection, but. Okay, hit me with it. What do you got for Gone in 60 Seconds? This one's not really so much a plot hole. It's just Memphis is, is allowing Kip's crew to t- kind of tag along and help out. And they're just dumb. They're just terrible. They're so dumb. Kip, in the beginning of the movie, he steals a car and then decides to drag race somebody right past a police vehicle. I mean, if I have a beer at noon, I will be worried about getting pulled over for like four days. I will have my hands at 10 and 2. I will be going five miles an hour under the speed limit. And this dude is like, oh, I'm going to you know, steal a car and then see how fast I can drive it. I mean, what a bunch of dummies well his reasoning too was oh it's just a rent a cop and i'm like so like (laughs) all right buddy yeah uh yeah anyway uh how about the one guy who just randomly steals a car that's not on the list i didn't think 50 was enough so i just stole this random beater that we'd have no use for but may just draw unwanted attention that had a ton of heroin in it yeah these guys not the sharpest tools in the shed yeah, also, I really wanted the computer guy to have a little bit more. He was just like, oh, I can go and hack the mainframe of the DMV and change the addresses or whatever. And I'm like, that's it. Like, He also just did not look like your typical computer guy. He looks like he auditioned for the role that Scott Kahn's character played and didn't get it. And they were like, well, we got this computer guy. Do you want to play him? Yeah. <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. Uh, we have some, uh, there's some cringy or poorly aged things really around some racial undertones. Uh, you have Donnie saying that Asians can't drive and that he can't swim. Pretty bad stereotypes right there. It's stuff that you don't see in movies anymore, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Rob, I got, I got some random questions for you too. Uh, and, and this really is the thing that really stuck out to me. He's got to steal the cars, 50 cars. He's got 72 hours. I mean, the biggest payoff for him is that his brother doesn't die. But the money that they're going to receive is $200,000, which it just doesn't seem like a lot of money. And then it's just not just him. You're factoring in the whole crew. I think, what, there's 11 people in the crew. So if you do some math here, that's $4,000 a car and then just over $18,000 a person. Yeah, that doesn't seem worth it to no. potentially go to prison for a very long time. Where'd they get $200,000 from? That just seems like such a random pull. Yeah, even just say like a million, you know, then I'm like, I'm in. I feel like five of those cars you could have sold for two hundred thousand, let oh, alone absolutely. fifty. It just doesn't seem like a like a good return on your investment there. Well, Donnie quits his job to go do it. He just leaves the car driving school place because he can make eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, in seventy two hours, and then what? 
Yeah, well, where are we at? Going into it, you got to think, well, I'm either going to die or get arrested. I don't know. The math didn't add up. That's really what stuck out to me, though, in this movie. Okay, who wins this round? To me, I feel like my vote would be for National Treasure to get this point. I just, you know, I just think it ages well. There's not much cringe in it. Even the plot holes, like, yeah, of course, like the whole premise of the movie is pretty ridiculous, but. I think there are some wild plot holes, but they could also just be considered part of the story. I mean, is it a plot hole if the entire plot is a crazy plot? So you go into it understanding that. Exactly. Gone in 60 Seconds does have a little bit more cringe. And I I really am struggling to get past the why would they do all of that for $200,000? Yeah. I know Memphis did it for his brother, but why would his brother have agreed to do it in the first place? I think that's my biggest hold up here. Okay. All right. So National Treasure is going to take that one. So we're at a 2-2 tie again. Going into round five. This is the miscellaneous question of the week. So for this week, we have, what is the better location? Historic DC and Philly or street racing Long Beach? Let me talk a little bit about this at first. While I don't live in historic DC, I do live right outside of Philadelphia. And not to knock Philly, but it is absolutely not as glamorous as this movie made it seem. They had a couple cool locations. They showed Reading Terminal Market, which I've been to a handful of times, and it is always way busier than what they showed in this movie. I also want to say they were being chased through the streets of Philly and eventually caught. Philly is just like a maze. There's so many people. There's so many streets mm-hmm. you can cut down. There's no way that they're getting caught if they're running and trying to hide and weave through Philly. I just don't yeah. see that happening. Yep. One-way streets and yeah. I want to point out that when Ben, Abigail, and Riley are seen entering Philadelphia, they're crossing the Benjamin Franklin Bridge, obviously a nod to his name and the founding fathers of the movie. However, if you were coming from D.C., that would not be the fastest way to go. Another thing that stood out to me was... You don't see any Phillies or Eagles jerseys in this movie, and you cannot walk or run or drive anywhere in Philly without seeing that. Yeah, no, it's you're absolutely right. Uh, I've only been to Philly one time, but man, yeah, passionate, passionate sports fans there. If we're just talking about the movie specifically, the movie did a really good job of making historic DC and historic Philly seem really cool. Whereas in Gone in 60 Seconds, it's kind of just set in Long Beach. It just seems like movies specifically, you know, I'm thinking of the Fast and the Furious movies that make L.A. seem like a pretty cool place to, you know, steal cars and do illegal things. It makes me think that if I've never been, but like this is like all that goes on based on movies, people just like racing and stealing things. I've been to L.A. once and I didn't see any car races, so I was very Mm. disappointed. Okay. To me. I think if you're going location to location, I mean, the historic DC in Philly is is a little bit more of a push to me than the street racing scene of Long Beach. You know, having been to DC a few times on, you know, school trip and just family trip, it is fun to be surrounded by history and all the buildings and just to think of like what's gone on in the country over the past few hundred years. It's just a cool place to be. That was a tough round to put anything up against historic DC, historic Philly It would have been tough to come out with a win. I think you're right in this one. I think they have a real advantage. National Treasure it is. National Treasure is leading three to two. Round six, better trivia. Alex will say one. I'll say one. We'll see which ones we like more. 
All right, so a national treasure. Nicolas Cage is wearing a Rolex Submariner Diver's Watch, which has a price tag of $8,550. If you remember in the film, he uses it as collateral in the clothing store to get his $100 bill back so he can inspect it to take a look at the clock for their next clue. The retail worker is Jerry Bruckheimer's stepdaughter. (laughs) Yeah, I actually thought she did a really realistic job of a retail worker that gave zero Fs. Yeah, having been one in the past. Yeah, pretty accurate. So Gone in 60 Seconds is loosely based on the 1974 film of the same name. There's a few overlaps. For the most part, they are different movies. But when Mirror Man is talking to the clerk at the police impound yard, a sign can be seen in the background that reads, if you leave your car unlocked, it will be gone in 60 seconds. This same sign was used in the original 1974 movie. Then the scene in the movie where the whole crew has to get the detective Delroy Lindo to blow away the drug evidence. That scene is virtually identical to a scene in the original movie and the location of the final car, Eleanor. They were both parked at International Towers in Long Beach. Okay, according to the Declaration Resources Project, 56 men actually signed the Declaration of Independence, not 55, as was stated in the riddle that they got aboard the Charlotte. So the title of Gone in 60 Seconds in some Greek theaters was translated to come in 60 seconds, which I don't know if it's good trivia, but is kind of hilarious if you think about some of the other meetings for that word. It's a family show, so we'll just keep it at that, Rob. Yeah, I think there might have been some disappointed moviegoers. <laughs> this is what I thought. I <laughs> This isn't the ticket I bought. Um, yeah, we talked earlier about uh, the names in National Treasure being very intentional. Ben, Patrick, and John Gates were all named after founding fathers. That would be Benjamin Franklin, Patrick Henry, and John Adams. Dr. Abigail Chase is a combination of Abigail Adams, who was the wife of John Adams, and Samuel Chase, who was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Ian's last name is Howe, which is the last name of two brothers who were a British general and an admiral in the Revolutionary War. I have Robert Duvall appeared in The Godfather in 1972, which featured Scott Kahn's father, James Kahn, and was directed by Nicolas Cage's uncle, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, that's pretty cool. Obviously, I'm a little biased. I like the trivia of Gone in 60 Seconds. To me, I kind of like the throwbacks to the original film it was based off of. But if you have pushback, I would be happy to hear it. I, I do like the some of the callbacks to the original film. I like the connections that you have. I don't know. To me, that's, I don't know, that's just a little more fun. I, I like that more behind the scenes stuff like that. I'm going to take it three to three, tied up. Going to the last round. Going into round seven. Better story, better script, and more fun. So I really like movies that are like, how are they going to get out of this mess? which National Treasure does a really good job of and Gone in 60 Seconds does a really good job of. My question for you, what do you think was the harder task to pull off? Stealing the Declaration of Independence or stealing 50 cars in 12 hours? Man, this is a tough one. I mean, they both sound impossible. Uh, Having never done either of these things, stolen one car or a historical document, I don't even know. I don't even, honestly, I don't even know. They're both impossible tasks. I know people have stolen cars before and no one has ever stolen the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, that's what I would say is the hardest. I feel like I would lean that way. Yeah. But also, by the time you stole like your 25th car, 
I really feel like the police would be on to you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think the Declaration of Independence, just knowing how it's guarded and it's such an important thing. 50 cars, though. I'm going to say Declaration of Independence is harder. I think so, too. I think even if you get close to it, there's no way you're removing it from whatever it's in. And then being able to be a fugitive with it for more than 20 minutes. What do you think the prison sentence for stealing the Declaration of Independence was? I don't know how reliable this information is that I found, but it says that an individual who attempts or robs any personal property belonging to the United States shall be imprisoned not more than 15 years. Hmm. So I guess maximum 15 years. That's interesting. Okay. So I think we'd safe to say that stealing the Declaration of Independence would be way harder to pull off and would be way harder to get out of. One thing I really, really liked about National Treasure was how they did get some of the reward. They worked so hard to get this treasure. I'm happy to see they got something out of it. Now, they were offered apparently 10% of $10 billion, which would have been $1 billion or $500 million for each, unless they cut Abigail Chase in on it. And then, you know, it would have been $333 million. They ended up getting 1%, which is $100 million for all of them to split, which is still a pretty good sum of money. So I was happy to see that. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, Riley with his Ferrari didn't know how to drive it. I love that part. He would not have fit in on Memphis Reigns crew. No, he would. <laughs> that would have, that's a crossover we need. One thing I did not like about Gone in 60 Seconds, the bad guy. I thought he was very bad. First off, he has one of the worst lines I've ever heard a villain say. And that's when he's talking about Memphis Reigns and Kip Reigns. And he says, it never rains, but it pours. I mean, this guy just did not come off as super villain. I feel like they had to keep talking him up in the movie because of how lame he was coming off. I mean, we've got a villain that's obsessed with woodworking. What What was the point of that? That added nothing. And there was no backstory to him, too. You're just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> they call him the carpenter as a nickname. And you're like, oh, I wonder what that's for. It's like, oh, he just likes woodworking. What? Yeah. Oh, what? yeah. He built he builds their coffins out of. Yeah. No, he just likes wood. I don't know. The actor Christopher Eccleston described Gone in 60 Seconds as a terrible film in which he gave a terrible performance. I don't agree with him that it was a terrible film. I do agree with him that it was a terrible performance. Yeah, yeah. Some of that may have been because of the writing. So that may have soured his opinion on the movie. But in general, Raymond Curlitri was a pretty bad villain. All right. I think both movies were really fun. I think both movies had a pretty cool story. I think to me, it comes down to what do you prefer? Do you prefer a slower beginning and then a good ending or a better beginning and then kind of a, you know, an ending that falters? If I'm being honest, I think the script was probably better in National Treasure. The ending really moved. It captivated. And then it led to multiple sequels in which Gone in 60 Seconds did not. So it's hard for me to argue against National Treasure in this category. Yeah, I did not like the final scene in Gone in 60 Seconds. He gets the car in the end, which is kind of funny. It stalls out like that's it's a, it's yeah. a good it's a good tie in. National Treasure does that kind of like the twist, like, oh, the treasure's not here, but it's in here. Oh, wait, it's not in here either. Oh, they got it. It was just kind of fun. And then like in the end, they kind of make the deal like they get out of prison. They know exactly where Ian is. He's up in Boston, which I love that scene. Just Nicolas Cage just you know comes out of the shadows. You know? It's really cool. <laughs> So good. 
he's just doing his Nick Cage thing, like, gotcha. Now, you mentioned the end barbecue scene where Nick Cage gets the car in Gone in 60 Seconds, and I really liked that scene as well. You know who else I think really liked that scene? Who's that? The director and writers of The Fast and Furious, because they had an ending barbecue almost identical to that same scene. I also think it's pretty interesting to note that Timothy Oliphant was the studio's first choice to play Dominic Toretto in The Fast and Furious, and he declined because of similarities between the two movies. And so Vin Diesel got the role. I can't picture that, man. I can't picture that. Vin Diesel is the perfect Dom Toretto. Yeah. And I'm very happy it worked out the way it did. I, I, I'm big, big Timothy Olyphant fan, but I'm just, I don't know. doesn't do it for me in this role. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not, no, not, not like that. So I think we're in agreement. National Treasure. I think we're in agreement on this one. National Treasure wins the Nicolas Cage steals things head to head competition. You lead our overall showdowns two to one. This one was fun. I mean, they've all been fun, but man, Nicolas Cage, just put him in a role. Have them steal something. I'm watching this movie. It was great. I, I loved revisiting both of these movies. I love Nick Cage. Both of these movies just criminally underrated. It's just laughable at some of the scores you see on Rotten Tomatoes or critics elsewhere. I don't know how you can't like these. You know, these these movies are, are some of those movies that you see on TV all the time. National Treasure is on TV. I'm watching. I'm, I'm putting it on. That's what I love about these movies. They're good, man. They're just fun movies. They're action-packed. They keep it moving. They suck you in. You watch it, and you're like, well, that was kind of silly, but that was an enjoyable way to spend two hours. Agreed. So what's your new Rock and Robin Tomatoes ranking? I'm giving uh, Gone in 60 Seconds a 72 and National Treasure a 79. Ooh, okay, nice. I went National Treasure, 73, and Gone in 60 Seconds, a 74. We'll have to do a composite score of these with mine and yours combined. I love that. All right, great, Alex. That was a lot of fun. Can't wait to do some more. This has been The Movie Showdown with Rock and Rob. Make sure to like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And follow us on all the socials at Rock and Rob Show. Until next time, peace. I'm out of here. See ya. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Bye, Felicia. That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Hasta la vista, baby.